Well, good morning. My name's Carmen, and today we're going to talk about whose pie is it anyway? Who really brought that pie to the table? We've been talking about this whole concept of generosity the last several weeks, and we've really been challenged to consider what it means to spend this life that we've been given well. And so today we're going to kind of continue this idea of what it means to live open-handed, to live a life of generosity, of living well and using well what God has placed in our hands, because God has given us a pie. <laughs> and he's given us that pie to be able to use, and we need to figure out how is it that God wants us to really use that pie. And we need to remember the mindset that God owns the pie. He's the one who brought it to the table in the first place. And when we talk about this idea of ownership, it seems like it shouldn't be one that should be really tricky to get our minds around, right? Because if someone else owns it, I should be able to easily remember that. But the truth is that sometimes when we have something in our possession long enough, we start to forget who really owns it. When I was in college, I had an open closet um, agreement with my roommate, and that meant that we would share clothes back and forth um, with one another and didn't really have to ask. We just kind of went back and forth. Well, there happened to be two sweaters in particular that my roommate really liked, and so she wore them frequently. And I started to notice as the year went on that she started wearing them a whole lot more than I had ever worn them. And that eventually she stopped putting them away in my closet, but she would put them away in her closet. And then as the year progressed even further, I noticed that all of a sudden I see this other girl walking across campus. I'm like, she's, she's wearing my sweater. My roommate started lending out my sweaters to other people that she knew. And so she would just, they were in her possession for long enough that she just presumed that they were hers. And towards the end of the year, when we were getting ready to pack up, I was like, Lori, could I get those two sweaters back? And she looked at me for a second, like, what are you talking about? And then all of a sudden you could tell it clicked. She's like, oh yeah, that's right. They're not my sweaters. They are your sweaters. I need to give them back. But she had been in possession of them for so long that she had kind of forgotten who owned them. She had forgotten that they weren't hers. And I think we do this a lot in our lives. And I promised Pastor Rick I'd give a little shout out here too, because apparently the same phenomenon happened with his chainsaw. He lent it to someone. He can't remember who he lent it to. And he believes that someone now thinks it's their chainsaw and he would like it back. Okay? So if any of you out there have Pastor Rick's chainsaw, now is a good time to remember who owns it and give it back to him. Okay? You're welcome, Pastor Rick. So, but this ownership thing, as much as we think that it shouldn't be a tricky idea to get our, our minds around, sometimes we do confuse it. And the truth is we have this life that we've been given, and we've been in possession of it for so long that sometimes our thinking starts to get twisted around a little bit, and we start to believe, oh, it's my life, because I've been in possession of it. But the truth is, according to Scripture, our lives are not our own. Everything in this world, this world and everything in it, according to scripture, belongs to God. We don't own any of it. We can't add a minute to our life. We can't extend our life any further. We have no power over that. It is God's and God owns it. And so today we're going to look at a story that really addresses this idea of ownership and challenges us to consider what are we doing with this life that we've been entrusted with how are we using that um, in, in a positive way? So I want to um, talk about a story from Matthew 25. If you have your Bibles, you can flip there today to Matthew 25. And I want to give you a little bit of context for the story that we'll be talking about today. 
Because this um, passage from Matthew 25 is a conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples. This isn't something that he's having with the masses. This isn't a message to the Pharisees. This is a conversation just among his most intimate friends, his most closest followers, okay? So this is the audience that he's speaking to. And his disciples are asking him, like, what is this going to be like? Like, what's coming? Because it's at a point where Jesus is toward the end of his ministry and the end of his life. He's getting ready to be crucified. And the disciples know that something is brewing, that this kingdom that he's promised, that Jesus has promised, is coming. But they don't really know exactly what that's going to look like. They're still kind of confused as to what all this means that Jesus has been talking about, his kingdom coming. And so they're asking questions about what is it, what's going to happen next? Like, wh- what does the end look like? Wh- where, where are we going with this? What's the next step? And so Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he starts to explain to them that, well, you need to be ready. You need to be ready because you don't know exactly when the end will come. And he gives some pretty stern warnings through this passage to his disciples about being ready. And he launches into three different stories in Matthew 25. And one is about some bridesmaids who are waiting for the groom. And some of those bridesmaids were prepared and they used their resources well. And so when the groom came, they were ready and they could celebrate. But some that weren't prepared, they didn't use their resources well. And the groom came and they missed the wedding celebration because of it. And then he tells the story of the talents in Matthew 25, which is the one that we're going to talk about today. And then he closes that chapter with the story of the sheep and the goats, where he talks about in the end, God will separate the sheep from the goats according to what they have done. Essentially, according to how they've spent this life that they've been given. And so this whole section of scripture is kind of wrapped around the context of being ready for the end by using well what's been put in our hands. Okay, so that's what this is all about. And this is how that story of the talents, the parable of the talents that I mentioned, starts out, the one that we're really going to dive into today. If you look at Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 and 15, it says this. Again, it, and he talks, it means the kingdom of heaven. He uses that reference a number of times in the chapter. The kingdom of heaven is like. So again, it, the kingdom of heaven, will be like a man going on a long journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. So a man is getting ready to go on a journey, a long journey, and you need to understand that the nature of travel in that day was such that when someone went on a journey, you didn't know exactly when they were coming back. It's not like today where you can say, I'm going to be on the 317 flight, I'll be home at 6. If someone went on a long journey, it meant there was a pretty wide window of time in which they could return. It might be within a few weeks. It may be even within a few months that they would be coming back. You didn't know exactly because travel was just very different then. And so Jesus is using this example as he's talking about his kingdom, saying the kingdom of heaven is like a man going on a long journey, and you don't know exactly when he's going to be coming back. And then this master draws his servants together, and he gives, we like to use the word gives, but really more accurate word is entrusts, which is what a lot of translations say. He entrusts some of his money to him. So it wasn't just a gift. It wasn't a bonus. Here, just take it and run with it. It was something that he entrusted to them for them to take care of in his absence. While he was gone on the trip, he's saying, here, I'm entrusting this part of my estate to you so that you can use it well while I'm gone. So I want us to understand from the beginning of this passage that when we're talking about this, this wasn't just a gift that the master gave. This was, was something that was owned by the master, continued to be owned by the master, and he was just entrusting that 
to his servants. And I think it's important that we keep that mindset straight as we dive into this story, that the master has entrusted us with resources to manage. They aren't ours. Someday we will return them to the master, but he's given us possession of them for this time period until he comes back. And so our question today is, what are we going to do with this pie that we've been given? We've been handed a pie that God says, until I come back, here's what I'm giving to you. How are you going to use it well? And that's what we're talking about today. So if we look at your outline, if you haven't already pulled that out of your program guide, you can do that now. But it says, what are you doing with God's pie? Well, one option is burying it. What are you doing with God's pie? Perhaps you're burying it. There was one man in the story who buried what he was entrusted with. If you look at Matthew 25, 16 to 18, it says, The man who had received the five talents went out at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. And as I was looking at that passage this week, I was like, that's just strange to me. Like, he dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. Like, that's just weird. Why would he do that? Like, literally went out, dug a hole, and buried the money in Jesus' story. Like, why would he do that? And so I did a little research to figure out, like, why might have that happened? And so I wanted to find out how much was it that this guy had been given. And what I learned is that a talent was considered to be about 75 to 100 pounds. Generally, it was 75 to 100 pounds worth of gold. Okay, that was a single talent of gold, 75 to 100 pounds, which is a lot of gold. And what I learned is that a single talent of gold was the equivalent of about 20 years worth of a common laborer's wage. That is a boatload of money. If you translate that to today's economy, I looked up the per capita income of Cumberland County, which is about 31,000. 20 years worth of wages, it would be the equivalent of $620,000. That is a lot of money. And so now I kind of get it why this guy reacted the way he did. Why is he putting a hole putting it in a hole? Because he was afraid of losing it. He was afraid that he was going to lose it, blow it somehow or another. And if someone handed me that amount of money, I'd be pretty nervous with it too. One time, several years back, Scott, my husband, used to um, work as the controller for rudders. And we went for lunch one day. And as we're getting ready to leave the restaurant, he wanted to go use the restroom before he left. And he said, just watch my coat for me. I'm like, okay, sure, whatever. He's like, yeah, just, you know, just make sure. No big deal, but just make sure my coat is in, in okay condition because... I've got the bank deposit for rudders in there. It's, you know, close to a million dollars. I need to stop at the bank on the way home. I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> You've got a million dollars sitting here. Like, I don't want to be responsible for that. So he goes to the restroom. I've got the coat doing the whole, like, <laughs> no one touched the coat. All nervous. I wasn't nervous about the coat before. Why was I all of a sudden nervous about it? Because all of a sudden there was a lot at stake. And I was afraid. And that's what's happening in this story, this guy is afraid. He has so much that he is terrified of losing it. And Jesus in the story is saying, that's no way to live. That's not why I've entrusted this to you. That's not the point. I don't give it to you so that you can live in this protective mode in fear, saying, oh, what happens if I lose it? And as a matter of fact, Jesus has a pretty harsh end to the story of the man who went into protective and fear mode with us. 
If you continue the story in Matthew 25, 19, and then jumping forward to 24 to 30, it says this. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. Then the man who had received the one talent said, Master, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would at least receive it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's a pretty intense passage. Kind of harsh. And I wish that there was some way that I could spin it for you this morning to make it seem a little prettier, a little nicer, but I can't with integrity. This is what Jesus says will happen. One day the master will return and we'll have to stand accountable for what we've done with this life of ours. And the story makes it clear that this guy is just horribly afraid of two things. He's one, afraid of losing it because it's so much. And he's afraid of the master. Because there's no way, had he blown that money, had he lost that money, there's no way he could have repaid that sum of money. That was 20 years worth of his wages. He could have not paid that back. And he's afraid of what the master would do if he had lost it. And the story always leaves a question in my mind. Like, what is Jesus really saying here? Is God supposed to be the master? And if so, is, is he really that harsh? Is that who God is in this story? Or is this more an issue of how this servant perceives the master? I have to think that it's more about how the servant saw his relationship with the master. He sees the master as cold and harsh and distant. He sees the master as a God who needs to be appeased, someone he's just working for in servitude, not someone that he's working with, not a master who said, here, I'm entrusting this to you. Work with me. Build my estate with me. No, he just sees this master as cold and harsh saying, go work for me, and he's hoping that he's going to do enough with it in order to appease this harsh master. But my suspicion is, based on what we know about Jesus and his other teachings, if this same servant had gone out with that one talent and had tried to invest it and lost it all, my suspicion is that the story would have ended very differently. Jesus wouldn't have had harsh words for him in that. He wouldn't have sent him away. The reason that the master is so angry is because he had given him so much and he did nothing with it. Nothing. He didn't even try. He did nothing with it. He's saying, I gave you all of this and what did you do with it? Nothing at all. And worse than that, you don't even know my heart. You don't even know who I am. That's why the master is so irritated. 
And then I start to consider that story, and I realize I can kind of relate to this guy. Sometimes I have to wonder if God is looking at me saying, really? I've given you so much. And are you really using it for things that matter? Are you doing something with it that makes a difference? Are you, do you know my heart in this? Do you have enough relationship with me to try to use it in the way that I would use it? Do you know who I am in this? And I have to admit that sometimes if I'm honest, I'm afraid of losing it. And I bury it. I've got so much. We have a great house. I don't want to lose that. I don't want to risk that. I've got a couple cars. I don't want to lose that. We have a savings account and a retirement fund. We enjoy creature comforts like cable TV and Wi-Fi. I don't want to lose that. I want my kids to be able to do things. I want them to be able to take piano lessons and play basketball. And my nine-year-old's on this thing about playing the harp. Really? Harp? Come on. But he wants to play the harp. I want, I want my kids to have experiences that they want to have. I have so much that sometimes I'm tempted to go into this mode of protection and just bury it all. And I think today burying it can come in a couple different forms. It can come in the form of, of hoarding it. You take your pie, and you're like, nope, it's mine. I go into scarcity mentality, and I say, no, it's just for me. I don't want anyone to touch it, because what if there's not enough? Or I think burying it can come in the form of just blowing it. Because we take that pie, and we forget that it doesn't belong to us. And we start thinking, this pie is my shot at getting all of those things that I want. This pie is my shot of identity and security and status and, and any of those other things that I'm seeking in this life. I'm going to take this pie and I'm going to use it for all of those things. And the master's saying, no, it is not your pie. I will provide those things for you. I will give you security. I will give you identity. You don't need to prove who you are to this world. I'll give you those things. Take your pie and, and use it well. We need to use well what we've been given, but so often we get afraid. And we try to control and we end up burying it. And that ever-elusive dream that we're going after in it just keeps escaping us. And we think we need more pie. I need more pie. I need more pie. And the master's saying, no. Just use what you've been given. Don't bury it. Don't go into that fear mode, that protection mode. But when I see it as mine, it is so easy to get there. But when I get my thinking straight, and remember that it's not my pie, that it's God's pie. It changes the whole game and the way that I see it. I realize that it's not mine, and I don't have to go into that fear, bury it mode. And instead of thinking about how I'm going to protect it, or how I'm going to build the kingdom of me through it, I can start thinking about how can I invest this for the master. It is entrusted to me, and I want to make the best of it. And I think that's what we see happening in the other two um, guys in this story, the other two servants that were given money in the story. Instead of burying it, they're investing it. So what are you doing with God's pie? Are you investing it? Like the other two guys in the story, second blank there today. The story continues that Jesus is telling, and he says, the man who had received the five talents 
went at once to put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. So the, the master had come and he'd given them all a different number of talents. And the first guy who got the five talents, he goes and some versions say he invested it. And the second guy, he goes and he invested it. Why? Because they understood that what they had been given was the master's and they wanted to make good use of it. Now remember, these two guys got significantly more money than the third guy had gotten. They had five talents and two talents, and again, translated to today's economy, the first guy would have gotten somewhere around 3.1 million, and the second guy would have gotten somewhere around 1.2 million dollars. It's no small amount of money that they were entrusted with. But they didn't go into fear mode. They didn't go into bury it mode. They remembered, it doesn't belong to me. I want to use it well. I want to steward it well. Because it's not mine. I want to make the, the best of it. It's on loan. I'm going to take care of it to the best of my ability. Now, this is a lesson that my dad just ingrained in me from the time I was like two, is that if you are in possession of someone else's stuff, if you borrow something from someone, you return it in as good as, if not better condition than what you found it. Anyone else got that message as a kid? Yes, most of you. Or you've been on the receiving end of someone who wasn't that way, and you're like, oh, that's not right. But my dad always taught me, you always return it as good as, if not better. If you borrow a car, you give it a wash and fill it with gas before you give it back. If you borrow a saw, you put a new blade on it before you give it back to the person who owns it. Why? Because you're afraid of them? No. Not because you're afraid of them, but because it's the responsible, respectful, honorable thing to do. You like the person that you've borrowed this from, and you want to honor them. You want to respect them in that. And so you take good care of it. You treat it even better than you would your own things. And I think that's kind of what's going on with these first two guys in the story. They realize it's not mine, and so I want to take really good care of this. Not because I'm afraid of the master, not because I see him as harsh and angry and distant, but I want to take really good care of it because he's been nice enough to give this to me. And so when I give it back, I want it to be in really good condition. So what does it look like for us to be able to invest well what God has entrusted to us? When God gives us this pie and says, go ahead, use it until I come back, what does that look like for us? So we have a few principles here. This is certainly not an exhaustive list, but a good starting point nonetheless. And the first one is to return your tithe first. Return your tithe first. Sometimes when we talk about tithe, I've heard people say that we need to first give God what's his, which I think is kind of a bad way of saying it because we don't give God what's his first. It's all his <laughs> in the first place. That kind of implies that this part is his and the rest of it's mine. The whole pie is his. But when we return our tithe first, what it does for us is helps us remember that ownership mentality. I'm going to start by giving this portion back to you first so that when I look at the rest of it, I remember it's not mine. And I'm going to spend it differently if I realize that it's not mine in the first place. And I know we talk a lot about tithing, um, especially these last few weeks we've talked about tithing. And I hope that none of you are ever hearing the message that, that we want to ask you to tithe out of some guilt or obligation or shame or that we want your money because we want to build the kingdom of daybreak. That's not what this is about at all. 
In no way, shape, or form is that what this series or this message on tithing is all about. What the message of tithing is all about is really a spiritual formation thing inside of you so that you can remember that what I have, this life that I've been given, it doesn't belong to me. And the tithe helps us remember to give God his piece of pie first so that we remember the rest of the pie, not mine, his going to change the way that I interact with it. That's why we've encouraged you to take part in this giving challenge over the last several weeks, and 145 people have now engaged in the giving challenge, and I'm proud of you. I hope that doesn't sound wrong, but I'm proud of you for doing that, for taking that step, because it's the first step in saying, I don't own it. And if you feel that God has been kind of tugging at your heart on this issue, I encourage you to consider taking that giving challenge. In your program guide today is the Open Hands Giving Challenge. And I encourage you to pull that out and take a look at it. And if this is something that you feel like, man, I don't know that I'm remembering that God owns it all on a regular basis, I encourage you to try it. Just give it a shot. See what it does to change your mentality when you start saying, I'm returning to you first what belongs to you most. (laughs) I'm not going to read through all of that. You can read all the information on that. But I encourage you to do that. Return your tithe to God first. It's a spiritually developmental thing for you that informs so much of the rest of the way that you live your life. So principle number two, create a budget and track your expenses. There are a thousand, thousand, thousand things that I could say about this particular topic that I don't have time for, except for to say it works. It's a habit that Scott and I had to teach ourselves to do, and it makes sense, and it works. Every month we sit down, we just take a quick look at our finances, what's coming in this month, where is it going? We pull that tithe out, that goes first, and then the rest gets allocated to different places according to how we think God would best want us to spend that money. And if we don't do that, what happens? Our money runs us instead of us running it. Because then we're just playing catch-up. We end up spending here, there, and everywhere, and next thing you know, it's all gone, and we don't know what happened to it. So I encourage you to... Create a budget. Track your expenses. And if you don't even know where to begin on that, get to the budgeting workshop on Saturday. It's three hours of your time. It costs nothing monetarily. Get there. See what it does to change the way that you manage your finances. Okay? Great, great tool for you if that's something that you haven't ever established a pattern of doing. Budgeting workshop. Um, Principle number three, simplify your lifestyle. Live below your means. Create some margin in your life. You know what we have this tendency to do, all of us, is that if we earn this much money, we spend how much money? This much money, right? And so you're living here, and then you get a raise, and there's a little extra money, and you would think, oh good, there'll be margin now, but no. What do we do? We increase our expenses. Oh, now I can afford the payment for, now I can do this, and so we end up spending all that we've earned, and then the next level comes, and it goes up, and then what happens if you lose your job? If your income level goes back down, I'm living up here now, my income's down here. Not only do I not have margin, but I am way overextended. To create a little margin, to say, okay, I'm going to live a little bit below my means, it allows a little margin so that we don't have to go into that fear and protection mode when something comes up that we don't expect. And that ties very closely to the next principle there, principle number four of establishing an emergency fund. 
again, it's about this idea of creating some margin because it's not a matter of if unexpected expenses are gonna crop up, it's a matter of when they're gonna crop up, right? Sooner or later, the car will break down when you're not really expecting that it's gonna break down. Sooner or later, the furnace is gonna go kaput or someone's gonna have a doctor bill that you weren't expecting or it will happen. They're not really unexpected expenses, truly, because you just don't know what they are yet. <laughs> but create an emergency fund so that when those unexpected things happen, you have a little margin and you don't have to go into this fear, bury it mode where you panic about how am I gonna make it all happen? It's just a good principle. Um, principle number five, pay off debt. Pay off debt. <sighs> Again, so much that I could say on this one, but there's a passage in scripture that says that the borrower is slave to the lender. So when we are in debt to people, we are enslaved to them. And according to this parable that Jesus is teaching is that we have a master who has entrusted resources to us. And it sure is awfully hard to serve that master who has entrusted resources to us when we're over here as a slave to another master when we're in debt. So yes, be responsible. Pay back what you owe. Pay what you owe to the people that you have borrowed from, but then get out of that cycle of debt. Pay off the debt so that you can be free to serve the master who has entrusted this pie to you and not be tied down to this other others be slave to this other master of debt and then finally practice long-term savings and generous giving when you find that kind of freedom in your finances because you have your perspective straight then sometimes there are times when god's going to say okay a little long-term savings here Let's save a little bit up. And there will be times when God says, don't worry so much about the long-term savings. I got this. Just give generously. And that's where you tune into God to hear the difference. But then you're free to be able to do either one of those. If you've invested well what God has given you, you're free to be able to continue to use it in the way that the master would use it. You see, when I see it as not mine, when I see it as God, it is so much easier to get this whole perspective straight. And I end up being able to put my money into places, invested into places that build God's kingdom and not my kingdom. And I love to hear stories of people that are learning how to do this. We have a story for you this morning um, from Diane Lang Langner. And she is a Daybreak member who has kind of been on the journey of what it means to follow God in investing well and learning how to follow him in tithe. And I'd love for you to hear a story this morning. Let's take a look. For at least a decade, the need and the want to tithe has weighed heavy on my heart. So I started to tithe 10% of my gross. That added quickly to my debt. Then Financial Peace University came along and I had to do my first budget ever. And instead of doing what I was supposed to do, taking 10% off the top, I squeezed it in here and there. I squeezed out 40 to $50 a month. Um, I left my daughter with my daughter and I with $8 of blow money a week, and my mortgage was 51% of my income. Way out of line. Um, I knew I was getting a raise, and I knew I needed to redo my budget because I'm doing Financial Peace University. When I redo my budget this time, I knew I wanted to do it the right way and do my 10-10-80, do 10% of tithing right off the bat. And in January of that year, Mel Hendrickson spoke at the Holiday Inn, and she told the story about Peter. He started to walk towards Jesus, and he was good. He was walking on water with Jesus until he took his eyes off of him, and then he started to sink. 
it cemented the fact that even though I had this fear, if I kept my eyes on Jesus, I could do this. I could do my 10% tithing and everything was going to be okay. Jesus would take care of me. So I started to tithe. The weight I felt needing to take care of my daughter, being the sole responsible person taking care of my daughter, um, started to lift. And I can't explain it, but the freedom I have from doing this is unbelievable. It's cake. And the blessings that God has now been pouring out over me is icing and it just keeps coming and coming. One of the first major blessings that I really experienced um, after first starting to tithe was in the fall I got a letter from my mortgage company and in the letter was a check and the check was for over $500. Apparently my escrow account had too much money in it so the bank had to give me the money back which was unbelievable that a bank was giving me money back and then to top it off they lowered my mortgage <laughs> so um, that was just incredible I get little miscellaneous checks here and there just out of the blue which just amazed me most recently though um, I received a bonus at work my organization paid for me to take this class. They sent me away for eight days to Mexico. <laughs> Mexico took this class, took a test, had to write a paper, whatever. And um, thankfully, um, I passed and I got this designation that helps me. And they paid for all of that. And then on top of it, they decide they're giving me a bonus for earning this designation. But then two weeks later, the CFO comes into my office, shuts the door, and he said, Diane, do you remember that bonus you got, you know, with your last pay? Yeah, I do. I'm thinking, oh, something happened. They're going to take it back. It'll be okay. He said, well, you're going to get it again this week in your pay. And I'm like, why? Okay, well, I'll write a check and, and I'll give it back. No, Diane, you're getting the bonus and you're leaving it there. I made the mistake keep the bonus, enjoy it. And he turned and he walked out the door. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I didn't just get one bonus, I got two bonuses. <sighs> and I know this is because God is blessing me because of being obedient to him. I feel like all my life I haven't been very obedient in many ways, but this is one way I can be obedient. God has consistently met the four walls that we need all of our needs for my daughter and I he keeps a roof over our head he keeps food in our bellies he gives us transportation that's really good and he keeps us clothed that's what we need I want more yes I want more but my needs are met our needs are met and God does bless us I sometimes think if I stop tithing and put the tithing money into my six months savings account or the account that I have my emergency fund for six months that I'd be there by now I would have reached that goal and I can move further in my baby steps with Financial Peace University but I can't imagine stopping and not tithing anymore all the fear I had um, to do this to make this um, change 
to tithe off the top and tithe my net has gone away. I feel so much freedom. I feel like that weight is off my shoulders. And sometimes it'll try to sneak back in, but I wipe it away. And I remember that God has my back. I just need to stay focused on him. I love hearing stories like that. And as I listen to Diane's story, it reminds me of this passage from Luke chapter 16 that says, whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And I don't know about you, but I want to be trustworthy. I want to manage it well. Because sooner or later, I'm going to need to return it. And I want to give it back better than I got it. And I wish that this idea would be on the tip of my brain and on my mind and in my heart every moment of the day, with every penny that I spend, with every breath that I take. I wish that I would live in that mentality of remembering God owns it and I'm going to return it someday. Imagine the difference it would make if we lived like that every moment of the day, that it's all on loan from the master. The truth is we get one shot at spending this life, one shot. And how we spend it makes all the difference. There's a song by a group called The Afters, and it talks about this life, and the chorus says, um, this life, we can't own it. We just get to hold it for a while. This life. We can't keep it or save it for another time. And then the song goes on to say that the only thing that really matters is how we love and how we give. And I love that song because it's just so full of truth. We don't own this life. We just get to hold it for a while. We can't keep it. We can't save it for later. This is what we have. This is the one shot that we get to invest it well. And then we're going to return it. So what are we doing with the master's pie, with God's pie? We're going to return it. Your last point there today. And as opposed to the first couple of points where we talked about you can either bury it or um, invest it, those are kind of choices that we get to make. The reality is with this last one, we don't get to make a choice on this. We will return it someday. There's no question about that. We don't get a choice whether or not we take the pie back. Someday we will stand before our maker with the pie, and he's going to ask us, what have we done with it? And we get to see a glimpse of what that looks like from these guys who invested it well, if we continue this Matthew 25 passage. And it says, after a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling the small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I've earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. 
You've been faithful in handling the small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Like I said, one day, we're going to take the pie back. And to those that have not used it well, they're going to be accountable for that. They're going to have to answer for that. How did you use it? Well, er, um, um, and it doesn't end well. But for those who have invested it well, they get to answer for that too. Well done, the master says. Come, celebrate with me. You've worked with me. You've not just worked for me. You've built my estate with me. You've built my kingdom with me. Remember, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God is like, and he's saying to these servants, you have built my kingdom with me. Well done. You've known my heart in this. You've listened for my voice in this. You didn't forget that it's my estate. You didn't build your own thing. We built this kingdom together. Well done. I've shared it with you because I want to enjoy this celebration with you. And I think that's the beauty of the first two men in this story is that they worked with the master. They weren't just trying to appease a God or hope that they did enough to deserve or earn his favor. They were just saying, I've taken what you've given me and I've worked as well as I knew how to work with you on this tried to imagine how you would want this to be spent, and they are rewarded with the master saying, come on, I'm going to give you even more. Let's celebrate together. We will return it someday. This passage from Matthew 25 is the story of our lives, and we've all been entrusted with this treasure that we call life. (laughs) And someday, Jesus is going to ask each and every one of us, what'd you do with it? How'd you spend it? And I think about that moment and I imagine what it will be like. It almost brings me to my knees when I really consider what that moment will be like to stand before my master, my creator, holding out this life that he's given me And to be able to hear him say, well done. Come celebrate with me. There is no other thing in this world that will be worth more than that on that last day. Nothing in this world compares to that moment of being able to stand before the master. And say, come on, let's celebrate together. It's what I want my life to be about. And as we close today, I want that to be the challenge that's on your heart. heart. I want you to imagine for just a moment, what will that moment be like for you when someday you stand before Jesus and he says, how'd you spend it? What'd you do with it? Are you going to hear the words, well done? You've been faithful in this. Come and enter my happiness. Come and celebrate with me. 
Every week at Daybreak, we give you an opportunity to respond on your response card, and I'd love for you to pull that out right now. You can fill out your name information on the front and on the back. There's a place for you to write your response to God. And in these next few moments, I want you to consider that moment of returning your pie <laughs> to God. And I want you to consider what that's going to be like, and maybe you're realizing this morning, I've been burying it. And I need to take some steps to get out of the mentality, that fear mentality that says, I have so much, I'm afraid I'm going to lose it. And so maybe you need to get your thinking straight by get, taking the giving challenge, and that's your response today. Or maybe you need to get to the budgeting workshop. Or maybe there's another way that God is saying, just get your thinking straight on this one. Stop burying it. Remember, it's mine. You don't have to protect it. You don't have to get so uptight with it. It's mine. Just use it. Or maybe today you feel like I can with integrity say that, yes, I've been doing my best, certainly not perfectly, but I've been doing my best to invest it well. And if that's the case, I'd love for you on your response card today just to write a note of thanks to your master, <laughs> saying thank you for what you've entrusted to me. I want to hear those words, well done. I encourage you to take these next few moments and just consider what are you doing with God's pie? What's that moment going to be like when you return it? Let's pray. Father God, we recognize you this morning as the owner of everything that we have and everything that we are. You are the giver of all life, of all of this stuff that we've been entrusted with. And we thank you for the amazing abundance that you've entrusted us with. And I pray that we always remember that it is a gift. And I pray that you would teach us how to learn how to invest it well, not to operate out of fear or self-preservation, but to invest it in your kingdom, with your kingdom in mind, not our own kingdom in mind. We want to be ready on the day that you return. Teach us how to live now in such a way that we can look forward to the day that we stand before you. That we don't have to fear that day, but that we'll look forward to it because we want to hear you say, well done. Let's celebrate together. More than anything, we want to hear those words. More than anything, we want to celebrate with you. You are a good and a faithful God. We love you. Amen.